like that. See, I like, good job, man, good job. All right, if everybody could go ahead and grab a seat. So when I walked in this morning, I did see some people, not very many, but a few in Bengals jerseys. I know we got some Bengals fans here. Um, oh, hold on, hold on. I hope you enjoy church this morning because I assume it's going to be a rough day for all you guys. I just, just wanted to make that clear. I don't care who wins, just, just to be fair. I just, I'm just realistic, right? All right, I'm, I'm glad uh, I have the opportunity to come and bring God's word this morning. We're going to be diving into Romans 11, continuing where we've been in this big, long journey of going through Romans as a church. Excited for this. So let's go to the Lord in prayer first. God, thank you for this awesome day that you've given us. Uh, thank you for people making it here safely in this weather, and we pray uh, for safety on the way home, Lord. Uh, we thank you for your presence in here this morning, uh, for you working in our hearts and in our lives. As we dive into Romans 11 today, into your word, um, I pray that your word would, much be, would be much more louder than my own, that nothing I say um, would be of my own words, of my own mind, but it would be all from your spirit. I open everyone's hearts, including mine this morning, to receive your message in Romans 11. We love you. Amen. All right, so I want to give us a brief recap of where we've been. Now, we're not going all the way back to Romans 1. We're starting with Romans 9, where we began at the beginning of this year. Um, and we've been asking this question pretty frequently as a church. What is your level of care and concern for people that are lost? What is your level of care and concern for people that are lost? Right, and we're going to be continuing that thought today. And Paul has been defending God's character and who he is. And it's that God unconditionally loves he is merciful, and that God keeps his promises. So then we got to ask the question, if that's who God is, what do we then do about it? It means we tell everyone about that God, right? We tell everyone about Jesus, no matter who it is. But I realize this, I understand this, that it sometimes can be scary, it can sometimes be intimidating, and it is for me as well, you're not alone in that. And sometimes we actually, we will gain the courage, we'll get past the fear, uh, past the scariness of it, and we'll gain the courage to go and tell someone about Jesus, and then we do it, and then the person just rejects Jesus. They're like, nah, I'm good. I'm sure it's happened to a lot of you in here. It's happened to me too. And it's so frustrating. We feel frustrated. We feel like we've wasted our time, and we're like, what are we doing? And we start to think, I'm not doing that again. It was scary. I gained the courage. They rejected Jesus. I'm done. I'm not doing it again. It apparently just doesn't work. I love what Brad said last week about when we have these feelings, what we think is failure. And he said, for Paul, dealing with disappointment and failure means intentionally looking up four directions. That's up, out, in, and around. Now, when we face this disappointment and failure when we're sharing the gospel, when we're telling people about who Jesus is, who God is, we must look up to God first. And the issue isn't the lack of others hearing the truth or seeing it in the way that we live our lives. The issue is them not believing what they've seen or heard from us. So it's not on us, right? We are not the ones who save. We have no saving power. That is God. We do what he's called us to do. And if they don't come to know Jesus, that's not on us, right? It frees some of that guilt that we experience. Paul then says for us to look out to see how God works even when it's failed. When we share the gospel with our lips and with our lives, we can look out and see how God is doing something. Something is happening 
in the lives of the people that we are praying for, caring for, and sharing his gospel with. Paul then tells us that we're to look in to see the proof of salvation in ourselves. When we look in, when we look into ourselves at our own hearts, we find the best evidence that there is a change that can happen. The impossibility of a sinner coming to know God can happen because the gospel has worked in our lives to shift and change us. We're then to look around, and what we find when we look around is we find that we are not alone in the with God life. We talk about that here. As we're living life with God, we are not alone in this. Not only are we living and breathing examples and evidence that the gospel works, right? When you come to trust Jesus that the gospel works, but so is everyone else in this room that's chosen to trust in Jesus. We're not alone. And so as I heard Brad preach about this last week, it reminded me of a friend that I have. I've known for a couple years now. We've played ball together. Uh, he comes over. We watch sports and stuff. And he does not know Jesus. But we've, we've gotten pretty close. And a few months ago last year, I was walking. Everybody know about our pray, care, share thing in the back that we drop ping pong balls in? Um, I was getting ready for a Wednesday night at youth group. As I walked past it, his name just popped in my head. Like God just put his name on my heart. So I just stopped right there, got on my knees, and I prayed for my friend. I was like, God, please give me the opportunity to share the gospel with him. Just naturally open it up. Because I've been scared to do it. I'll be honest. I'll be up here as one of the pastors of our church saying, I was scared to share the gospel with him. But then I just prayed. as like, God, remove that fear. Give me the words and give me an opportunity. So I had not seen this friend in a couple months. He hadn't shown up to play basketball. So I go that night because I always go play basketball after Wednesday night, student ministry. And I go that night, hadn't seen him in a while, and he was actually there, right? He showed up. I was like, oh, great, God, thank you for working this out. And typically, we have like 15 to 20 guys. Um, I was like, I don't know when I'm going to have this conversation, when it's going to be available. That night, only three people showed up. That's never, I've been playing there for two years. It's never happened. I was like, God, you were setting this up perfectly. I'm like, he's going to come to know Jesus tonight. This is going to be awesome. We're, I'm going to bring him to our church. This is going to be fantastic, right? And so I sit down with my friend, and we talk for about an hour and a half about the gospel. I broke it all down for him. He asked me a ton of questions that he had. It was a really good conversation. We're getting to the end. I'm like, hey, man, do you want to trust in Jesus? And he says, no. I'm like, what? It, it blew my mind because he told me that he believed in the perfect life of Jesus, he believed that Jesus died, and he believed that Jesus was resurrected. He believed all of that, but there was a core piece of what he didn't believe and ultimately why he is not now following Jesus. He believed in the power of the resurrection, but he didn't believe the power of that resurrection could actually resurrect him. And it was heartbreaking for me. And it still is now when I think about it, because he believes all the things that I said, except that God loves him enough to save him. That's where he got stuck. That's where he feels like he can't get past. It's a confusing thing when that happens, right? And Brad shared a quote from N.T. Wright last week that I loved. It said, why some people believe and some don't is a mystery that Paul leaves in the hands of God alone. All Paul knows is that faith is what happens when people hear the message and report about Jesus as it's announced. God's powerful word is at work whenever that report is given. God's powerful word is at work whenever the report is given. Regardless of the outcome, the powerful word is at work anytime it's given. So I got asked the question now. I, my friend did not come to know Jesus. It seems like a failure, right? What should my response be after that encounter? 
It's not to say, well, that didn't work, so we'll just push you over to the side. I'll find somebody else who's more receptive. He's not going to get past this. I think that can be our temptation sometimes. That's not what it's supposed to be, though. What are we called to do? We're called to look up to see what's real and true about God. We're to look out and see God still at work. We're to look in to see the evidence of the gospel in ourselves and to look around to see that we are not alone in this whole thing. And then I'm to realize that no one is too broken or too beyond recovery. My friend is not too broken or too beyond recovery. Even though he does not feel that he is loved by God, he is not too broken. And that's why we don't give up. But after that, what am I to do? I am, to, I am called to love my friend in the way that Jesus loves him. Constantly showing him Christ through the way I live, through the way I treat him, through the way he sees me treat other people when we're in groups. And I am to preach the gospel still. Even though he rejected it, preach the gospel still in truth, right? That's important. Don't neglect truth, but also in grace and love. That's how we're to do that because no one is too far gone. As I loved Brad's sermon last week, and it led us into this beautiful place today of Romans 11. It really set it up for it. And we're getting to this place where Paul is very practical with what our attitude, what our level of concern should be for the lost, and how we should care for them actually when they come back to God. It's a really cool spot here. So starting in Romans 9, as we did at the beginning of the year, we see two and a half chapters of Paul calling out the Jewish Christians, right? He's going off on them at times, and it seems kind of harsh, but today in chapter 11, where we're going to be starting verse 13, we see Paul start to call out the Gentile believers, right? He makes a switch here, and I like to think of it this way. Paul is kind of like that one, I think everybody has it. Paul's kind of like that one friend um, that when you kind of mess up, when you, when you sin, they call you out on it, right? Is, does people have that in your life? Like, people just call you out. I, I have friends like that, and one particularly in college that used to drive me nuts. Anytime I do anything, he was like, Justin, that's sin. Like, that's rebellion against the holy God. It was, it was all the time. I was like, dude, you're so annoying. And it, it drove me nuts. I'm like, you got to chill a little bit. Here's what I realized. My friend was right all those times. He, he knew when to call it out. And what did that do? It brought me closer to Jesus. It made me more like Jesus because he did that. It wasn't fun, but it was good. This is what Paul is here. He is that annoying friend that's calling everybody out. And he's like, be more like Jesus, right? So he's switching from Israel, God's chosen people, the, Jew, the Jewish Christians, to now switching to the Gentile believers. He's doing it for both people here in chapter 11. So let's go to verse 13. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Insofar as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If I might somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them, for if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now if the first fruits are holy, so is the whole batch. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Notice, like I said here, Paul is making a clear switch in his audience. He'd been speaking for two and a half chapters to the Jewish Christians. Now it's to the Gentiles. Why? It's because he is called to be an apostle, he says here, to everyone, to the Gentiles as well. Remember that question I said at the beginning we've been working through. What is our level of care and concern for those who are lost? Paul's care and concern is for everyone, right? It is for everyone, not just his group of people, but everyone. He's an apostle to all, and we see that continue here in verse 14 because he's saying that because of salvation now being open to the Gentiles, 
that many of God's chosen people, the Jewish people, have become angry and jealous. And that anger and jealousy is leading them to a place of rejecting God himself. I want to ask a question here. Has anyone in here ever played upward sports or your kids played in upward? Okay, a good amount of people. I did too, right? And a big thing in upward is that every kid gets equal playing time on the field or on the court. And I remember being in fourth grade, and I was angry because I knew there were kids that was much better at basketball then, but they got to play just as much as I did. It kind of ticked me off, and it made me angry, and it made me jealous because I wanted the attention. I wanted the minutes on the floor. I wanted the points, but I didn't get it, right, because it had to be fair. I didn't want to play upward anymore because of it. I was like, I want to be in a different league. I don't want to deal with this. I want it out. There's jealousy and anger. I was like, I want out. Because I thought if everyone gets equality here, if everyone gets equal playing time, then I don't want to be a part of it. I'm not interested. But the designer of the upward system put this in place so that every kid that was on the court or on the field got equal playing time, no matter who they were or what their skill level was. And this was actually for a purpose. We actually kind of see a similar thing play out here because Israel, God's chosen people, had a rich history of worshiping and following God. But here's the deal. They thought that God was exclusive. A relationship with God was exclusive to their people. Now this opportunity is being given to others, and they've become bitter and jealous about it. And due to that, they have rejected God. They're like, I'm out. I want nothing to do with it. I'm done. And Paul says here, this is crazy. If their rejection has opened up the door for everyone to be saved, how much more does their return mean? How much more does it mean? In 16, Paul is actually drawing this picture that he is going to draw for the rest of the chapter. And it's this image of a tree. And we'll get into that in a minute. But he talks about this tree there being a root. That's found in verse 16 here. This root is actually referring to God himself. He is saying, I am the root. I sustain life to the tree of salvation. It is all, all done through him and by him. And then it talks about the first fruits here, that being God's chosen people, the Christian Jews, the first fruits, his first children, and he calls them holy. But he says, therefore, the rest of the batch, meaning the Gentile Christians, everyone else will also be called holy. God is saying, we're all on a level playing field here. Both of you are called holy. We see this pattern in Scripture, specifically in Romans, first being the Jew and then the Gentile. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. First the Jew, then the Gentile. Right? Do you see that? First the Jew, then the Gentile. That's what we see here. Israel is the first fruits of this tree of salvation. This will make more sense in a minute as we got, dive deeper into this, why this is important. But ultimately, what are we here at Adventure supposed to take from what he's talking about here? It's that it is grace. We are saved by grace, not by our race. These people are getting mixed up in this. Because salvation has nothing to do with a skin color or someone's ethnic background whatsoever. It's all about an individual receiving God's grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what it's all about. It comes to that. That's the bottom line. Because the gospel is not exclusive to a particular ethnicity, a wealth status, a region, an occupation, or political party. It has nothing to do with that. The gospel is open to everyone. And we as a church here at Adventure, we bring that hope to everyone. 
Adventure will not be a church where we can pick and choose who is worthy of the gospel or who we think is worthy of the gospel. Because guess what? None of us are, including myself. None of us are worthy of it. And that is the beauty of the whole thing. Because God uses us as broken people that he has redeemed to bring his good news. And then he deems all his followers worthy. Not us. He deems all his followers worthy. That's what we're seeing here. Paul is saying, hey, both the Jewish Christians are called holy, the first fruits, but also the rest of the batch of the Gentile Christians, you guys are both holy. Not because you guys think that about each other, but because God has said so. It can be anyone, right? And Paul, he just finished talking about Israel, how they fell away. And then he talks about the hope of Israel now returning back to God. And he's telling them how to receive them in verse 17 as we continue here. Now, some of the, if some of the branches were broken off and you, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you are better than those branches. But if you do boast, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but beware. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. This part can be a little confusing here. It was for me as I read it this week. I read it several times. I'm like, what is Paul saying here? I have no clue. And so if you've never heard this word grafting before, I want to show you an image of what this looks like, what Paul's describing here. All right. So imagine the rest of the tree is here, right? We talk about the root of God being the salvation, right? The rest of the tree is here. And what they will do is they will cut off a piece of the branch and then they will put another branch on there, either from the same kind of tree or a different tree. But the important thing is it's a branch that has life. They will put them together and bind them together. And those two branches will now become one branch. So as we talk about grafting here, we're going to say it a lot. We're going to refer back to it a lot. This is what we're talking about. That one branch has been cut off. Another one has been put on. And they have become one. What's important here, remember, it's not like it was cut down to the root of the tree there was still a little bit left. And we'll get back to that. We'll get back to why that is important. I did research this week about grafting because I'll be completely honest, I had no clue about any of it. I was very ignorant to the whole grafting thing. So grafting has two main purposes. First one here is to combine two different branches to change the outcome of the fruit. And this is often to make the fruit either bigger or better and different. So when we refer this back to this tree of salvation, why did God graft the Gentiles in? Because he knew the more diverse his people were, the more diverse his children like, were, the greater the fruit they could produce, the more fruit they could produce, the better it would be, which ultimately brings more people to him and brings more glory to him. That's one reason here. The second reason people graft a branch is because the branches that were cut off were dying. The branches quit producing fruit and they began to die but when you graft a branch with life, when you bring in a branch with life, you begin to give life to the whole tree. Now, we're at a point here in the time of Jesus and when Paul is writing this, that the Jewish people rejected God, right? We read that. They rejected God, and they didn't want to follow him anymore. They're like, we're done. Because the Jewish religion had become more about gaining power and authority than reaching the lost and praising God. The branches were dying. So God brought in new life to then give life to the original branches. 
God's chosen people had followed him for generations, but then they rejected his son. Because of that, they're broken off from this tree. They are cut off from this tree. And the Gentiles, because of the work of Jesus, now have the opportunity to be grafted on, to be saved with this tree of salvation. Here's what, remember I said they left a little bit there? They left a remnant. It's so the Gentiles could be grafted onto those portions that had been broken, and the two pieces could come together to be one. Here's the thing. These Gentiles that have been grafted will forever be a part of this tree now. Forever. Let's pause here. How loving is our God that he made this possible for us because we don't deserve it, right? He didn't have to graft us on, yet he did. He could have just said, all right, I'm cool with my original branches, but he didn't. He's like, I want you too. I want you to be grafted on too, and I'm going to make it possible for you. How loving is he? Let that love sink in right now. It's insane. Paul continues by giving a warning. He's like, you've been grafted on. Appreciate that, but I'm going to give you a warning. He says, do not boast. Do not be arrogant. Just because you have been grafted on, just because you have been saved, does not mean that you're better than anybody else. Why do people often not like Christians? Because they don't act like Jesus, right? That's often why people don't like Jesus. You ask them why, well, it's because they don't act like Jesus. And I'm not saying that we should go out and try to live like the world and get real buddy-buddy with, with people that are in sin and then follow in their footsteps in that sin. What Paul is saying here is just because we don't act like them and we have been saved does not mean that we are loved by God one ounce more than they are. The people that are lost and in sin, we are not one bit better. So what are we to do for the lost person that is loved by God? We're to mimic the grace and kindness of the one who first showed it to us. It's our Savior, Jesus, right? We're to mimic that grace and kindness. And it's funny because Paul almost has like a little contradiction here, but that's not what it is. He says, do not boast, but then he's like, oh, but there actually is a reason to boast. And he says, if you're going to boast, don't boast in the branch, the branch being us, right? Do not boast in yourself, but boast in the root. We talked about what the root is. The root is God himself. He says, do not boast, but if you're going to boast, boast in God. And do that all day long, right? 2 Corinthians 10, 17. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. What do we get from this? It's that we are to brag on Jesus. As a church, let's brag on Jesus. Forget bragging about ourselves. What we want to do is brag on Jesus because he has done everything for us. He has done it all. Let's brag on him and what he's done. Paul continues, he explains this in verse 19, that these branches were cut off because of their unbelief and rejection, and it made room for the Gentiles, right, to be grafted by faith. We just went over that. But Paul, again, gives this stern warning about arrogance. He does it twice here. He says, if God would not have spared the original branches, his chosen people, Israel, if he would not have spared them, it would have left no branch to be grafted, Right? If it would have been cut down to the root, nothing could have been grafted. He left a remnant there. He left a remnant of Jewish people that came to know Jesus, that put their faith in Jesus so that the Gentiles could be grafted. He said, if, he said pay attention here. Love, he's talking to the Gentiles. Love the Jewish Christians. Find unity with them. Because if I wouldn't have saved them, you would not even have the opportunity to. Because if he wouldn't have spared them, he also would not have spared 
the Gentiles. This is important here because we got to understand this is a time of division between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And what Paul is saying is that the Gentile Christians needed these partial branches, the remnant of the Jewish people, in order to be saved. And he's saying for the Jewish people, you guys need the Gentiles to go out and preach the good news in mass numbers to people in your families, to your very own ethnic people. They need each other in the church because every person in the church has inherent worth and value placed on them, this is important, by God. And we have to treat them like it. He gives a warning against arrogance, right? This right here should humble us. We shouldn't have to worry about that because it should humble us and it should cause us to celebrate one another. To get back to the text here, we have to understand, like I said, that God left a remnant of the original branch for a purpose. It's to be grafted onto, right? It's also to restore it. This is what these next few verses are going to talk about. Now, as I prayed through the scripture this week, as I talked through it with some of our people on staff, I came to an understanding with verses 20 through, two, through 28. And I talked with Melissa, our discipleship director, and we decided that it's going to be best that if we take verses 20 through, 22 through 28 into D groups really heavy this week. Because we're looking at this as a lot of verses here, a lot of text here. We're looking at it from a 30,000-foot view, and we don't have the time, honestly, to get granular because nobody's trying to hear me talk for two hours. Amen? Right? Okay. So we're going to be diving really heavy into 22 through 28 this week. I'm excited for us to do that. Uh, Melissa's already shown me it's going to be really good. We're not going to miss out on anything here. So if you're in a group already, this is going to be great. If you're not in one, shameless plug to jump into one. Get a part of that. So we're going to hop forward to verse 29 here because Paul, what he actually did in this, uh, he took a little detour into the prophecy of how Israel will be saved, right? He says, here's how you receive them when they come back. And this little seven-verse space is him telling how they will come back. And there's a lot there, so we'll dive into that this week in D groups. Verse 29 here. Since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. Like I said, verse 22 through 28 are talking about the prophecy of Israel coming back to God. And Paul ends it by telling the Gentiles that God's gracious gifts and callings are irrevocable. It means that they cannot be stripped away. They just can't. This is important because God made a promise to restore Israel through the Messiah. And many of his people rejected the Messiah, but he left a remnant that Paul is saying they chose to believe. And God continuously is fulfilling and keeping his promise by saving the ones who are one time called his children. But what does this mean practically for us today? Because this is talking about the Israel, like the Israelite people, God's chosen people, right? But now he's also talking to the Gentiles. What does it mean for us? Ephesians 1.14. The Spirit is God's guarantee. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us inheritance he promised and that he purchased us to be his own people. A guarantee for the inheritance he promised us. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. This means here that God keeps his promises. And his promises that if anyone trusts in the sacrificial work of his son, then we will be set free from the bondage of sin. We will find freedom and being saved. And we get to enjoy him for eternity. This is important here. Hear me on this. You cannot sin your way out of the love of God. You cannot sin your way out of salvation. 
Now, does that mean that we sin just because we can? Absolutely not. We've covered that in weeks past, right? Paul says that a lot. But I want you to understand that we will not be perfect until we are face-to-face with our Creator, and He continues to show us mercy and grace daily because He understands that. I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus lived 33 years perfectly, right? I can't go 33 seconds. I can't. That is how flawed I am, yet the God of the universe still loves me, and he still loves you. That's what Paul's saying here. He keeps his promises. We have to remember that he deeply loves not just us personally, but all he has created. And that's why we don't discriminate on who God uses and who he saves. Because let's be honest, there are people that we look at and we're like, oh, that, you would be easier to serve Jesus with. You would be easier to share the gospel with. And Paul, Paul's kind of, and they were, the Gentile people were actually saying the same thing, right? And Paul's kind of telling everyone here, get over it. Get over your biases. Get over your preferences. Because God has grafted all of us in and created this family that's to be of unity. And just a little side note here today. Since we are a family of unity in the body of Christ, if you have an issue with a brother or sister in here this morning, reconcile that today. Resolve that today. Don't let that continue, but find restoration because that's what Paul is trying to do here. That's what he's calling the church of Rome to do, and I think he's calling us to do the same. Verse 30 here. As you once disobeyed God, but now have mercy Receive mercy through their disobedience, so they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they also may receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may have mercy on all. For context purposes, let's go back to the beginning real quick of what Paul had said. The reason that the Gentiles had a salvation, a way of salvation that was made for them was because Israel had turned from God. It opened it up. But the Gentiles, they've been judging the Jewish Christians and saying, hey, you guys are, have disobeyed God. You guys have rejected God. We're done with you, right? Your people group, even though there's some of you guys that have come to know Jesus, most of you guys were God's chosen. You guys dipped out. They're like, we're good. They're judging them super bad right here. And Paul's saying, do you not remember when you also too were lost? When you rejected God your whole life? Remember that. That's where they're at now, and remember that and have empathy, right? Go bring my message to them. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, remember when you were lost and Jesus completely changed your life. Now go give them the same mercy that Christ gave you. So what does it mean for us to be Christ-like in a world full of sin? Simply, it's living the way that Jesus did, right? It's calling all to repent. That means turning from sin, pointing towards Jesus, and it's finding a hope that life can now be different because of the work of Jesus and salvation. Here's the key point here. Did, did Jesus pick and choose to share with who it would be just like really easy? Did he pick and choose the people that would be easy or the places that would be easy? Absolutely not. He often went to the hardest places and towards the hardest people. Places where he was run off from, where it was dangerous, where he could have lost his life. And then the people, who do you minister to? To the sick, the hurting, the ostracized in his culture. What does it mean to be Christ-like? For us, for us, it's to do the exact same thing. 
it's much easier to bring the hope of Jesus to the people that we're comfortable with. Let's just be honest. It's much easier to bring the hope of Jesus, to share the gospel with people that we're comfortable with. It's much harder to do that with the hurting, with the broken, with the ostracized in our culture. It's easy to share it with a friend. It's really hard to go up to someone who's addicted to drugs on the side of the road, on the side of the road who is homeless and go tell them about Jesus. It's much harder, isn't it? Much more uncomfortable. Yet what would our Savior have done? He came all the way for me. Why am I not doing the same for them? Because he says here, God imprisoned all in, in disobedience so that he may have mercy on them. It's not exclusive to who we think it should be. It's for everyone. I have some takeaways this week that I think are very important for all of us, including myself in here. Because I, I just want to be clear, I fall short in this. I do. The first one here is that the gospel does not discriminate. It's for everyone. My challenge is what I just said this week. Is that you would go out and find people this week that make you uncomfortable and bring the hope of Jesus to them. Also bring it to the people you're comfortable with, right? I'm not saying neglect them, but bring it to the people that make you uncomfortable, where you're like, oh, that really scares me to share the gospel with them. They need the gospel too, because I guarantee there's a lot of other people that are feeling the same way and not doing it because of that. Somebody has to step up and share the gospel with the people that Jesus would have shared it with. Secondly, we must promote unity in the body of Christ. Paul here, he's, as we know, we've talked about this for many weeks. Paul is writing to a church that is so divided, whether it be ethnicity or political leanings or methods of worship or preferences of food, a bunch of whole other cultural stuff. My question is, where do we find division in here today or within the whole body of Christ? Where do you lack unity with people in the body of Christ today? Like I said earlier, if there is an issue with a brother or sister in here today or outside of here, come to them and reconcile. Make that right. Because when we do that, it's extremely powerful, and here is why. When we do that, we not only find personal freedom, but we come to a place where God can truly work in our church to impact this city in the name of Jesus. That's why we do it. If you in here today don't know Jesus, I want to be clear I, like you, am a sinful person, and I was born being separated from God, broken because I, of the things I had done to wrong him. But like I said, God made a way by sending his son Jesus to this earth to live the perfect life. Like I said, 33 years perfectly. We can't go 33 seconds. We can't. But send him to live a perfect life, and Jesus lived that life and then was crucified on a cross in a brutal death that ultimately I deserve, but yet he's gracious enough that I don't have to, that he took that on for me. Not only that, when Jesus died, he did not stay in the grave, but three days later, he jumped out of there to seal our salvation, to seal grafting us on there, right? He grafted us. His resurrection, as he got up, it sealed it. If you're at that place that my friend was in, as I spoke about earlier, where you just feel like, hey, I believe this stuff, but God doesn't love me, let me tell you, you're wrong. As graciously as possible, you're wrong because God loves you so deeply, so deeply, and he wants to graft you in too. 
So if you want to come to know Jesus today, um, if you want to talk to somebody about it, there'll be uh, Brad in the back. I'll be up here. You can come pray with us. We'd love to talk with you. I love the way Paul, he closes this chapter today. It's with a song of praise. I want this to be our praise today as we go out. Verse 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, how untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Nobody. Who has been his counselor? Absolutely nobody. Who has given to God? Who has ever given to God? No one. That he should be repaid. No one. For from him, through him, and to him are all things, everything. To him be the glory forever. Pray with me. God, thank you for the stage you've given us. Thank you uh, of your work in Paul that he may give us these writings of your Holy Spirit's work in him. I pray that as we walk through that together, as your Holy Spirit opened up people's hearts, Lord, that they'd be able to take things away from this, from your word, um, that it would be impactful. I pray that it also be impactful in my life, Lord, that we may come to a point of not discriminating with your gospel or picking or choosing who is worthy of mercy and salvation, but come to understand that it is for everyone and bring it to everyone. God, I pray if there is any place where there's division in this church, Lord, that you would mend that and heal that today and put it on people's hearts to do so. We love you. Amen. You stand and sing with us.